Managing risk and protecting your profits on a dairy farm isn't always easy, but it's becoming increasingly more important to have a good understanding of milk markets to better protect your profits through more frequent volatile periods. Welcome to the Protecting Your Profits podcast, a brief monthly update where I will take a deeper dive into topics or trends that will help you better understand milk markets and risk management. I'm Zach Myers, Risk Education Manager for the Center for Dairy Excellence. Let's see what's happening this month. So good afternoon, everyone, and welcome to Protecting Your Profits podcast or webinar series. I am not Zach Myers. I'm Jane Seabright with the Center for Dairy Excellence. I'm filling in for Zach this week, who is actually on vacation and has limited access to Wi-Fi. So I'm going to be talking through the markets and management this week. And then we're really pleased to have Beverly Pfeiffer from uh, National Farm Program here to talk to us about Farm 4.0 and some of what that program means for dairy farmers. As always, I'm going to start with our disclaimer. Um, first of all, if we do want to thank you for joining us this afternoon. If you do have questions, you can type them in the chat box by clicking on the chat box, or you can um, also raise your hand and I'll call on your question. I will be monitoring the check chat box and answering questions at the end of my presentation, and Beverly will also be answering questions at the end of hers. My goal today before we introduce Beverly is just to provide a quick overview of dairy markets and review some of the risk management opportunities. I do want to let you know that this is all public information and why I may express some opinions, those are not recommendations. So first of all, just to cover what we'll cover, um, the current markets, I'll talk a little bit about exports and imports, and we'll talk about DMC, the Dairy Revenue Protection Program, and then we'll end with um, Beverly's presentation. So first of all, June milk production and cow numbers came out a little, almost a month ago or actually no, just a couple weeks ago, um, at 18.975 billion pounds, U.S. milk production was actually up slightly in June, up 0.2%, which means this is the first year that year-over-year -year growth was experienced in 2022. It's actually the first time since October 2021. Cal numbers, though, are still declining. They're actually down for the ninth month in a row. They're now at 9.423 million head but 4,000 more than in May of 2022. Milk production per cow drove the increase in total production. It was up 1% to 2,014 pounds compared to last year. This is about 77 pounds per lactating cow per day, or about 0.8 pounds more than it was a year ago. Increasing production per cow was enough to offset the reduction in cow numbers like I said, making June the first month this year to experience a year-over-year -year increase. Pennsylvania, though, wasn't as fortunate. We were down from a year ago with 8,000 fewer cows than a year ago, and our milk production was up about 0.8 pounds. Uh, milk per cow was about 69 pounds per day, or about 1,800 pounds for the month of June. That is actually about 20... 200 pounds lower than the national average. So we still have a lot of room to grow in milk production per cow. The slight increase in production per cow at Pennsylvania wasn't enough to offset the sliding cow numbers. And as a result, our total milk production in the state was down about 5 million pounds to 841 million pounds. June dairy stocks were also released last week. Butter uh, continues to be down. It was down about 20% year over year to 332 million pounds. Um, and that was down about 83 million pounds. Cheese actually is still climbing. It's up 5% year over year, 1.42 billion pounds, up about 71 million pounds uh, from a year ago and actually reaching an all-time high for this time of year. Um, and then uh, May, May non-dairy milk um, stocks were down about 32 million pounds too. Dana, can you uh, please check the waiting room and just make sure we're letting people in? 
On the next slide, I just wanted to go over some dairy product prices, uh, where we are at 2.94 per pound. June butter prices were up about $1.20 above last year. Global dairy trade butter price continues to be slightly lower than the U.S. price at 2.82. However, the European Union price continues to be up much higher, about at $3.45. Cheese prices were up 62 cents compared to a year ago. Continue to be at a discount compared to the global dairy exchange at two point is at $2.21 and the European Union's price at $2.65. At $1.83 per pound, unfat dry milk is 55 cents above a year ago. U.S. price continues to be at a slight discount relative to the global dairy price and at the European Union prices. May dairy product production, uh, May butter production was down, was down 0.7% or about 13 million pounds compared to last year, ending at 181.7 million pounds. Cheese production was up 2% or about 25 million pounds to 1.19 billion pounds. And May powder production was down over 6% or about 13 million pounds compared to a year ago at 193 pounds. Total Total dairy product disappearance in May. Uh, butter disappearance was up less than a 1% to 169 million pounds due to increased domestic support that slightly offset the decrease in exports. At 463 million pounds, American cheese disappearance was down 4% because of a large decrease in domestic use that overwhelming, overwhelmingly impacted or offset a doubling in exports. At, at 720 million pounds, other styles, style cheese disappearance was up nearly 12%, driven by increases in both domestic use and exports. As a result, total cheese disappearance was up 6% or about 1.2 billion pounds. Milk powder disappearance was up nearly 6% to 215 million pounds, driven by an increase in nearly 26 million pounds of domestic use that offset a 14 million pound reduction in exports. And then we're gonna go over uh, milk futures a little bit. Class three milk futures for the next 12 months are falling. They are down about $2.80 compared to last month to average about $19.99 based on July 21st closing prices. Class three prices peak this month at $22.54, and then they fall to the upper $18 by next spring. However, the current class three 12-month average price is still $2.71, more than it was over the last five years on average. Class four prices also peaked this month at $25.86, and then they dropped to the upper $19 by May of 2023. Class four 12-month average drops about $1.96 per 100 weight from a month ago. Compared to the five-year average, though, it's still well above that at $5.72 higher. On to exports, uh, May exports continue to be very strong. Obviously, uh, there's several global regions, dairy regions that are still struggling to post every year increases and that's really impacting our exports. Exports um, were at 228,000 metric tons, up about 5% from a year ago, representing a record monthly volume. Cheese exports increased 31%. Unfat and skim milk uh, powder were the only major category to post a decline and that was more due to product availability at declining demand. The value of exports was at 904.9 million, up 34% from a year ago. It was a record monthly volume. It was actually the third time this month that the, re the record volume uh, or record value was hit and the first month to ever eclipse the 900 million threshold. So next, before we move on to Beverly, I just wanted to cover some risk management options. Um, our May margin for the dairy margin coverage program was at $12.51 with no indemnity triggered. It's actually uh, the highest margin 
uh, for the DMC program since it was introduced and it actually exceeded um, the record hit earlier this year in April by a few cents. The June margin will be available on Friday, July 29th. And looking ahead, um, margins, this is what margins are projected. When you look at the projected margins going forward, you can see that in uh, 2022, the, the DMC tool is still not predicting any margins to fall below the $950 level. But if uh, high, higher feed prices would be experienced into a fall, that could actually change, which you can see several of the fall months are getting very close to the $950 level. And then lastly, just on dairy revenue production, this is a great program for dairy farms to provide a floor for their milk. If you're not already using the program, uh, this actually shows the dairy prices based on July 20th closing prices, the last state that policies were offered and that when these slides were generated, the DRP policies were not available on the 21st or the 22nd because of the release of the milk production, the cold storage report at 100%, 95%, 95 price protected floors could be set from a low of $17.96 for the quarter three, 2023 to a high of $19.76 for quarter one, 2023. And the average cost of that was 55 cents per 100 weight. If you read Zach's last week's column, uh, he mentioned that even though dairy margin or dairy revenue protection premiums are high, the prices are still well above the five-year average that they're offering and can make a lot of sense for protecting your milk price, especially with the uncertainty around an upcoming recession. 100% class four, 95% price protected policies can be purchased to set price floors at a low of $18.50 in quarter four, 2023, up to $20.92 for quarter four, 2022. Or an average of 85 cents. Both class three and class four prices dropped significantly over the last few months due to market voluntary for, and that has forced premium costs to increase. That said, these prices are still well above the five-year average and it would be a great tool to look at if you haven't do also already done so. And I see that Zach is actually listening in, and he said that the DMC tool figures are from July 18th, not um, July 21st. So before we move on to Beverly, does anyone have any questions regarding the markets and management? Uh, I know most of you are here to hear Beverly, so if you don't have any, I'm going to move on. Okay, let's welcome Beverly. Beverly, I'm going to actually let you give an introduction about yourself and just tell the group about your role with uh, National Farm. So welcome, Beverly. And I am going to spotlight you for everyone. Perfect. Well, thank you, Jane, and thank you for the center for having us today. Uh, my name is Beverly Hampton Pfeiffer, and I'm the Director of Animal Care for the National Dairy Farm Program. Uh, we are a team of about six or seven full-time folks uh, based out of Arlington, Virginia. And then many of us split time or work remotely across the country. Uh, my role includes day-to-day uh, -day management of the implementation of specifically the animal care program area. Um, I do reside in North Carolina, um, have a pretty diverse ag, um, animal ag background. Um, but it is certainly a privilege to be here with you today and uh, very thankful um, of the capabilities of virtual uh, learning and interaction and meetings that we can um, talk to folks throughout the country without having to leave home. So we'll go ahead and get started. Um, I will try to be efficient with time today and leave time for questions at the end. Uh, please send those in as they come to mind. Um, this will be a level set uh, really about the farm program as a whole before we dive deeper into specifically animal care and then looking at the development of animal care of version five. 
So uh, again, speaking towards the level set, just there, I've noticed a few uh, names that I'm I know on on um, the participant list, but certainly a lot of new folks as well. Um, but really, what the National Dairy Farm or Farmers Assuring Responsible Management Program is is an opportunity at the farm management level for producers and employees and co-ops and processors to work collaboratively to improve on-farm practices. Uh, we know that a lot of times um, hearing an outside voice or a perspective um, and, and driven by science, we can take the opportunity to improve those protocols and practices that are being completed on-farm related to the, the priority areas within the farm program. The other piece of that, and as we dive into evaluations and the role um, that evaluators have going on farm to gather information, um, to gather data, it's really looking to uh, create proof points for dairy cooperatives and processors and in turn farmers to mitigate risk. Um, one of those is, is trying to determine areas that potentially could be targets uh, for a farm um, to be able to mitigate risk for animal care crises, and the other part of that ties into the quality assurance piece. So whenever co-ops and processors go out to collect information such as relationships with veterinarians and use of certain procedures, they can use that information um, to provide those quality assurances and meet the expectations of dairy customers and consumers so that we as an industry continue to, can continue to operate and be sustainable from that aspect. So how the farm program came to be, um, if you're familiar with any other of uh, the barnyard groups, you know, for looking at the poultry and pork industry, you know that the world of audits is, is the, the law of the land. Um, there, there are regularly multiple audits and expectations that those farms and operations are expected to meet. Back in 2009, the dairy industry was taking note of that as, they, um, as we were receiving questions from our uh, supply chains about what was happening and what type of oversight and what QA pieces were there. So the dairy industry took a different approach, um, trying to avoid farmers having to meet the expectations of various different tools. Um, we wanted one unified program, and so thus was born the National Dairy Farm Program. Um, it is funded through dairy checkoff, um, but is facilitated by National Milk Producers Federation. So for those who may not be familiar, NMPF is the dairy uh, cooperative DC representation. Um, do make up about 80% of the dairy cooperatives throughout the country. Um, and also is, uh, we do hold the contract with DMI and the dairy checkoff to facilitate the farm program. Also, we work very closely with the Innovation Center for U.S. Dairy, which is another initiative through DMI, which really um, brings together the complete supply chain from producers and co-ops and processors all the way um, to the customers so that we can stay abreast of conversations around sustainability and social responsibility. So as I shared, 2009 was that official start date and where the farm program itself was born but definitely national milk um, in terms of regulation and, and, and um, that aspect was having conversations around antibiotic stewardship back into the 90s. Um, but when we could officially label it and uh, put it under the umbrella of the farm program in 2009. Since then, as I'm sure many of you are familiar with, the farm program has grown to encompass other initiatives. Um, environmental stewardship back in 2017, workforce development in 2018, and then our newest program area, which is biosecurity, uh, did join the program um, this past year. One thing I'll note um, is that whenever we look at these programs, and we'll talk about it in just a little bit, is that we have three programs that are our main focus, animal care, environmental stewardship, and workforce development. And then under the umbrella of animal care, you'll find biosecurity and antibiotic stewardship. So the biggest question, probably the biggest question that many of you guys have today, rightfully so, on, on the call is who makes decisions about the farm program? Um, while we are checkoff funded and facilitated by um, an NPF, there is lots of input and lots of decision makers uh, that, are, that are across the board. You can see here on this chart, um, we have different councils and task force uh, that provide information and do brainstorming and review that lead up into committees that are appointed by an NPF board, board um, members themselves or appointed by members of NPF 
um, to have someone more uh, maybe suited for that subject matter expertise to serve in those committees. And then ultimately, any standards or expectations around the farm program are approved by National Milk Board of Directors. And you can see there in, um, in red, that is where we have highlighted uh, what percentage of farmers are represented on those different groups. In situations where it's more technical based, uh, when we're looking at antibiotic stewardship, um, that's more heavily on the veterinarian and the, and the research side versus something that's more like overarching final decisions. The board of directors is uh, made up more uh, on the farmer side, as well as our farmer advisory council, which we'll talk about in a bit more, which is obviously all, um, all producers on that board or that council. So how the program works, and you can see over on the right, kind of what I was speaking to earlier about umbrelling under the animal care program area. Co-ops and processors do sign up to participate on the program um, in, in a program specific program area, one of those three at the top on behalf of their uh, farm, farmers or patrons. And so that means that on behalf of their membership, they're adhering to meet specific requirements that are outlined within three of these different program areas. Um, how those expectations are created are based on those task forces and committees and approval by the NMPF Board of Directors. But as a whole, the program is remaining um, committed to be to remaining science-based and outcomes-based, uh, best management practices that can be adhered to from everyone from Vermont to California, from a 40-cow uh, farm to a 40,000-cow farm, being that we're structured through checkoff and a, a nationwide program that is something that we are here to be is science-based and facility neutral, as well as um, being something that we know will fit across the country. Um, those standards are assessed by second party evaluators. Those folks are typically employed by that co-op or processor or contracted with that co-op or processor. And they uh, identify what standards are met or what improvements could be made and help those farmers uh, develop continuous improvement plans to make those improvements or unmet standards. We also have in animal care a third-party verification component, and that's where a random sampling every six months is identified of farms that have had a second-party evaluation to go on those farms and conduct a third-party verification just to ensure that our second-party evaluators are seeing things consistently across the country and implementing the program as it's intended. And then the value that we spoke about a little bit earlier is that data that's gathered is those proof points that co-ops and processors can use when needing to market their milk and providing those assurances to their supply chains. Probably the second best takeaway um, or, or something that I hope that you take from this conversation beyond who's making decisions about the program is what the program does and doesn't do. I think we get a lot of assumptions that we as the program or staff or those who are supportive of the program um, feel that it is a it it eliminates all risk or threats to the industry, and that's certainly not the role that the FAR program serves. It is a framework. Uh, we have a structure and best management and and how the program is intended to be implemented, but it's only as good as it's implemented. We we know that we can foster a culture of continuous improvement and best management practices, uh, but it's up to the farmers and co-ops and processors to ensure that the program's being implemented as intended. It is certainly uh, at, at a minimum once every three years. So it's not, uh, it's merely a snapshot in time when we have an evaluation conducted. So it's not eliminating or ensuring what day-to-day -day practices on the farm, um, but it does provide that quality assurances once we have the program implemented as intended. Uh, but we do have the awareness piece that it does not eliminate all animal care crises or, uh, or threats that may come to dairy farms. Just wanted to highlight this. A lot of questions we get around participants. They can be co-ops or processors. We've had breed associations uh, here to participate in the program, as well as county organizations that support farmers. And so their role um, is, to, is to make sure that when they sign up on behalf of their membership, that they are doing their best to relay information and provide farmers with information around program and support them through dairy farm participation. As I mentioned earlier, um, those standards that are identified are assessed, <coughs> excuse me, are assessed by second party evaluators. 
These are folks that are either full-time or part-time employees with participants or independent contractors. And each of these folks do have to go through an application process. There are certain requirements that they must meet. Uh, they must have a minimum of five years of animal handling or, or related experience, education, veterinarians. Um, many of these folks have been field reps their entire lives, or of course, a majority of them come from dairy farms or are still involved in dairy farms on a daily basis. And then specific requirements beyond that go uh, are related to that specific program area that they will be working in, whether animal care, environmental stewardship, or workforce development. So after these folks um, have their written application and interview process, they are required to have an in-person training, and then they will recertify annually just to make sure that everyone's on the same page and that we have constant calibration of this group. So as I mentioned, we get a lot of questions about our third-party verification. Very similar to um, our verifiers are very similar to our experts and experience within our second party evaluators, but these folks do tend to have additional auditing and animal um, and animal assessment experience. Um, we do contract with a third party organization that does go above and beyond and making sure that their calibration is on 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 point, as well as uh, management of this group. Um, so if you as a farmer have had a third party verifier, um, it's something that um, should be work, uh, conducted very closely with your co-op or processor with your second party evaluator on site. And as a reminder, this verification is really just to ensure that our second party evaluators are assessing uh, to the same standards that have been outlined through their training. When evaluators and both verifiers are on the farm, they're really looking to do four different things. Um, they are looking to review those treat those records or documentation, written protocols within within your herd health plan, and then they're going to go out and observe animals. They should be um, observing animals and facilities. Uh, they may um, uh, ask questions of employees, or um, they may observe what's going on um, through the operation, and that's really to ensure consistency between what they saw in that documentation and what's going out um, on the farm. Make sure practices and protocols match. Uh, for that verification piece and consistency. And then ultimately, um, if there are unmet standards, they will work to create corrective action plans um, with the farmers. And so those corrective action plans um, do, uh, we'll talk about those a little bit later, but they are opportunities where the, those evaluators and participants will provide, whether that's templates or resources for farmers um, to help them create a plan to meet that unmet standard within a set amount of time. So diving into animal care um, more specifically, just a, a quick overview here. We do have about 99% of the milk supply participating in, in the country. Um, we know that there are other opportunities for quality assurance, you know, directly selling to customers um, or other programs out there, QA programs that exist that um, milk uh, dairy farms and, and milk marketers may be participating in. Um, we've had about 75,000 evaluations conducted to this point, and that really represents about 141 co-ops or processors and organizations. And we have a little less than 400 farm uh, evaluators out there doing these assessments. Two things that we're really proud of within the animal care program area. One is our ISO certification. If you're not familiar with ISO, they set standards from everything from um, tractor trailers to car seats. Um, and so it really is a win whenever we talk about dairy trade. Uh, it's a really a level set. The farm program was the first program, um, animal welfare program here in the States to meet the standards for ISO. Whenever we're having um, trade conversations with other countries, we can rest assured that our standards at, uh, meet international standards for care, and that doesn't have to be a debate when it comes to trade negotiations. The other part is the farm program is PACO certified. PACO is a tool that's really heavily used in other barnyard groups. Uh, we mentioned poultry and pork earlier. Uh, it, really, it certifies audit tools as well as provides an opportunity for education and training for auditors, and that's something that we earned last year, so it really elevates our program in terms of auditing and evaluations. As we look over the growth of animal care, um, again, if, you, if you're familiar with the program first started in 2009, it really was just getting its feet wet, voluntary participation, um, as folks wanted to venture out and try it. 
And you can see the growth over those four, uh, four different versions. Really the big leap, as many folks would say, would come from version three to version four. Uh, version three was that introduction and, real, and refinement around uh, corrective action plans, set standards, um, and, and more teeth, as folks say. And then as we look to version four, it was really that increased accountability. Um, we did introduce an immediate action plan as well as refined timelines based on the fact that we saw that farmers were already resolving unmet standards on a lot shorter timeline than had been outlined initially. So the program itself is really focused on five different areas. Um, that's down cows, uh, fitness to transport, calf care, euthanasia, and stockmanship. Those really cover all the areas of practice and, and protocols on the farm, as well as cover the areas of concern when it comes to our supply chains. So I mentioned corrective actions earlier. We do have three different types of corrective actions. Uh, immediate action plans are things that need to be addressed and resolved within 48 hours. Mandatory corrective action plans are really those top tier standards that have a nine month time that they can be met and continuous improvement plans, which really mean any improvement within three years. So these are the minimum standards set by the program, a program wide. We do have participants that have expectations that their, co that their farmers meet these standards on shortened timelines. So if you're a farmer yourself and have a shortened timeline um, set, have that conversation with your co-op, your evaluator, um, because that's something that they're having the expectation within their own supply. Just to briefly go over um, what the expectations are, are those focal points, and I won't read these line by line. They really encompass the five topic areas that I shared earlier. I would encourage you, if you're not already familiar with these as a farmer, that you're asking your co-op and processor um, to make sure that you're up to date with this information, that they provide you with this. And of course, all this can be found on our website. But really here, you can see the bucketed unmet standards that fall into the three different corrective action categories. There are additional questions that we ask beyond the things that are listed here, observations that are conducted, and truly those are more at this point for information and assessment, um, but these are the ones that must be met or, or must have a plan to correct um, to be in good standing within the farm program. So again, this is one of those starred slides that again is a big, a big question that we get around the why, well, what, what's the result of, of the support of the farm program um, further down the supply chain. And so this past year, we were able to address um, the DMI and the Innovation Center do have, um, have 20 top customers labeled. And you can see with those that, uh, that are circled are all ones that publicly support the farm program in some manner. That could be that they have a statement on their website. That could also mean that in their sourcing guidelines that they require that all the milk that they purchase comes from farms that are participating in the farm program. Um, and then all of the remaining ones, even if they don't explicitly say the farm program, are all have statements or requirements around animal welfare and those five freedoms related to animal care. Just two quotes here. Um, just two call-outs that were great, both from large brands, uh, Costco and, and Duncan, that have publicly acknowledged the farm program and that their expectations that their supply chain is participating in this program for um, animal care specifically. So I want to briefly, um, I hate to have some time with you guys and not briefly discuss the other program areas just a little bit. Uh, diving into antibiotic stewardship, as I mentioned earlier, this is something that the National Milk Producers Federation has been involved with for a long time, really falls into two buckets. You know, one is the conversation piece, um, having conversations at a, a nationwide and a global level around the judicious use of antibiotics, things that are related to regula regulation, um, and trying to ensure that we still have the ability to use the great tools that are antibiotics. Um, but that we were using them responsibly on the same. And then the other big bucket there is our producer education resources, which mainly fall into our um, drug um, residue manual. So hopefully you're familiar with that residue manual. We do have a manual in both a pocket guide um, that, that uh, share information around judicious use of antibiotics, but also in the back, 
has charts with withdrawal times for things that are approved for cattle, as well as um, testing limits um, and, and residue test information for uh, urine and, and serum and milk. We, uh, we are proud within the farm program and continue to use this uh, through conversations with dairy customers and international discussions about the continued uh, reduction of, of antibiotic residues. And that uh, even um, obviously before it enters the supply chain, so the, the recognition of this, as well as what the such minuscule level that we are at already with that. So it's a good win for the dairy industry there. Moving on to environmental stewardship. Um, so in the environmental stewardship program area, really at this point um, is, is largely a greenhouse gas calculator. Um, you, I'm sure at this point you've heard conversations, whether it be from the news or from uh, the supply chain companies, from everyone from car manufacturers to Walmart um, to, to dairy companies are all making commitments around reduction of greenhouse gas. Uh, emissions. We know that the dairy industry is already doing a great job. We know that the reductions in, in years past have been consistent and, and large, um, but we don't really have a tool to show that at an independent farm level. So that's where the uh, farm environmental stewardship comes in. Um, it gives the ability for a farm to identify their greenhouse gas emissions and compare it to a regional and national level and really is a starting point um, for them to also take some initiative and identify some areas that they can continue to make that reduction. To date, we've had about 41 different organizations, co-ops and processors participate in this program, but it's really representative of about 80% of the milk supply. So we're touching on that 3000 um, assessment number. And we, of course, we've seen, continue to see a steady growth in this program because it again is another opportunity for proof points for the dairy um, co-ops and processors for their supply chain. Again, as I shared, um, we're getting consistent feedback from dairy supply chain customers and brands that are wanting to make commitments in the farm program and the environmental stewardship program area can help fulfill those needs um, so that we can continue to keep our suppliers happy, um, our supply chain happy and continue to, to market milk. Looking at the workforce development program, you know, I think we can all resonate that a lot of us enjoy working with animals. Um, we, we choose careers working with animals, maybe not to be people people or people managers. And so I think the great win for the workforce development program area um, is resources that are needed at the farm level. Um, this program area is broken down into two um, categories, you could say. We have a, a human resources or HR bucket, as well as a safety side. And so it does have an on-farm evaluation where um, it can assess practices that are related to those two different things and identify areas that farmers can, um, can take improvements around when it comes to managing people. Today, um, we do have a certification for this for evaluators. So we're at about a little over 50 folks that are certified to conduct those evaluations. And then again, have about 17 organizations for, uh, participating. This was a program area that really kicked off during COVID. And so we saw um, a small del uh, delay, I think, in start. Those folks that may have never stopped going out on farms or were slow to go out on farms uh, began participating right off the bat. But as uh, the world has opened up, as we entered in 2022, we've seen a steady increase of participation in this program area. Biosecurity, again, is one um, that launched during COVID um, and is, is a program area that, again, is nestled under animal care. Um, but is, is um, a great resource and a great addition to animal care, um, very timely. Um, and what I'll share here is it is supported by a USDA um, grant. Um, and so it's, it's based on a contract with, with a grant and really focuses on um, a few different deliverables. One is that, and you'll see with all of our program areas, we want to try our best to create as many resources and templates that can be utilized on the farm level but also support around information around best management practices related to biosecurity. We will see in version five, the addition of a few questions and version five for animal care, I should say, a few questions related to biosecurity, but again, it's not its own program area, as well as a relationship with secure milk supply, if you're familiar with secure milk supply. So we've bucketed biosecurity really into two different categories, everyday and enhanced. Uh, when we talk about questions that will be added to the animal care evaluation, I'm talking about the on-farm management, day-to-day things that are happening. 
um, and, and uh, precautionary steps related to biosecurity that's really bucketed into that everyday biosecurity. Whenever we look at enhance, we're looking at disease outbreak and management of disease outbreak. A lot of discussions around uh, foot and mouth disease, FMD, um, and taking best management um, practices and steps to be able to be proactive in the case of something like a disease outbreak. If you're a dairy farmer um, or someone who's working actually on the farm, these screenshots of these resources would probably be the best ones I would recommend being familiar with. You can find these on our website, nationaldairyfarm.com. Um, I would strongly encourage you to ask your co-op, your farm evaluator, or your processor for these resources if you're unfamiliar with them. It's a great overview of each of these program areas as well as the expectations for farmers that are participating in the program. Beyond that, we have a whole plethora uh, of resources available on our website. If you're needing something to help you meet an expectation within the farm program um, or even beyond that, I would strongly encourage you to become familiar with our website and our resource tab, whether that's a protocol template um, or posters to put up around uh, safety measures or, or anything, anything in between. Um, we are constantly creating resources. If there's something that you think is missing, um, please send us an email. Uh, we definitely always have a wish list and we're trying to check those things off as efficiently as possible. Just a few other screenshots here. Uh, videos that we have uh, related to uh, this video in the top left is a video that we did with Alltech and Alanco in 2019 around um, what employees should be alerted of or aware of when someone comes on the farm and it maybe has ill intent. Um, how to protect themselves as employees and what to do um, as in reaction to that activity. On the right, you can see just a screenshot of the posters we have around reminders around transporting and euthanasia decision trees for calf and cow, as well as everything as simple as, a, as an emergency contact poster, because we know in, in times of emergencies, folks from, uh, forget simple things such as addresses or even 911. Do wanna give a shout out as we talk about resources. Uh, we are a staff, a, a fairly small staff of about six or seven folks, but we rely heavily on subject matter experts outside of our team, um, and we're very thankful for these organizations and the support that they provide. So with that, trying to be efficient on time, uh, hopefully not talking too fast, uh, but do want to cover off on Animal Care version 5. Uh, you'll see there it's starting July uh, first, and that should say 2024, not 2022. So that's a typo there. Um, if you've been familiar with the farm program, you know, in past, we've had our version cycle start at the beginning of the year. Uh, with COVID, we did have an 18 month extension. So from March, I think it was 13th of 2020 until September 1st of 2021, we had officially um, lifted the requirements around timelines for evaluations and corrective action due dates. Um, we did have some co-ops and processors who continued to do evaluations in some capacity. So evaluation progress was being made, um, but it was not a requirement across the country. So with that shift, uh, we made the decision to start all of our version cycles in the middle of the year. And we'll be that way going forward into future versions. So a refresher from the beginning of the discussion about um, how uh, new standards are, are made and expectations are set. Uh, from data that is gathered from those evaluations, from latest research, like from the Journal of Dairy Science, um, we have discussions with those task force. Um, I do have those uh, members listed a little bit later, but those are made up of subject matter experts. They draft and revise uh, what the adjustments should be made to the new version. We also get feedback specifically from the Farm Advisory Council, um, from um, our, our other stakeholder groups, as well as an open comment period um, that ultimately we take all that information and feedback and then send that up um, to our committees and NMPF board of directors who will provide final approval or um, on, on what the expectations are. Again, there's that flow chart, adding in that open comment period there and diving in just a little bit into these groups. So for example, this is our Farmer Advisory Council. Um, so currently um, our, our Animal Care Task Force just finalized last week their uh, proposed revisions to the Animal Care Program area. And so at the beginning of next month, we will share that information with the Farmer Advisory Council to allow, to allow them to dig into it 
um, and to provide some specific feedback or tweaks or, or things that they're supportive of um, before we send it on to that open comment period, which we'll have that date shared in just a minute. Just to highlight, and these are a little out of order, so apologies for that, um, who those members of that animal care task force is. You can see that we really have it bucketed into four different categories. We have uh, representation from farmers, veterinarians, co-op and processor staff, as well as academics. So researchers and PhDs um, at, at dairy heavy universities across the country that all come into these discussions, um, not only with their own perspective from who they represent, but also representing um, their geogra geographic location, um, you know, what experience they've had handling animals, um, as well as representing the organizations and companies that they work for. Ultimate decision, again, um, goes up to the NMPF um, committees as well as the Animal Health and Wellbeing Committee. Again, these are just more folks that are represented. You can see farmer representation here um, as having input into ultimate decisions and what the final approved standards be. So just a snapshot of what this timeline looks like. So we actually, uh, even though Animal Care version four or five doesn't begin until 2024. Last year, we began with a kickoff survey. Uh, we received a lot of feedback, um, about 1,800 responses across the country um, about what concerns there were from farmers, uh, what areas they'd like to see expanded on, questions and concerns they had with the current standards. And from that survey, it really navigated or helped us navigate a plan uh, for this year and next year uh, um, as we prepare for July 1 of 2024. So throughout this year, uh, we have regular updates with all of those stakeholder groups, but I did want to highlight that public comment period that we've talked about a few times. So that will be available in September from September 1 to the middle of November on our website, and we're seeking feedback from um, all internal industry stakeholders, you know, but specifically farmers. Um, so that public comment period will be available, give an opportunity for all to review the drafted adjustments and tweaks for version five. And so want to hopefully have you guys pencil that information in um, so that you can, you can take a look at that in September. We'll continue to do our best to communicate out that information as well um, so that it, it will be available to you as well. Looking into next year, um, continue to hopefully have that target approval by March of next year so that we can spend a majority of 2023 and um, 2024 developing resources or tweaks um, uh, communicating out those changes to you as dairy farmers and industry folks um, if any of new templates or protocols are needed as well as focusing heavy on gearing up our evaluators. So we can spend the first half of 2024 training evaluators and calibration there so they're set to go on uh, July 1 of 2024. I hope, um, my, my hope is that this is not the first time you've heard about Animal Care version five um, and that it's it, the changes are coming or changes are coming out, they're identified what they are specifically yet. We have tried our best to communicate this out through our dairy publications, through our partners, internal industry partners. Uh, we ha do have a webpage there. You can see the URL at the bottom. Um, that's where we put all this information. We do hold quarterly um, industry town hall webinars. These are streamed through our Facebook Live, um, through Facebook Live. Um, and it's really where we give updates on what decisions and what draft, uh, what the task force has draft and progress we've made um, for the development of version five. So again, strongly encourage you to, to tune into those. We dive in deeper, certainly a lot deeper than this conversation here. Um, into those specifics and an opportunity to ask questions around um, maybe some feedback on specific discussions um, or more information related to, to the discussion. So with that, uh, we'll leave a little time for questions. So I'll turn it back over to you, Jane, if you have some questions to ask. Thanks, Beverly. That was a lot of really good information. For those of you who do have questions for Beverly, you can post them in the chat uh, box below. Um, I will actually turn off um, screen sharing, or I guess I can just let that on. But if you do have a chat question, just put it in the chat box. You can also wave your hand. I think I'll be able to see it. Um, I do have a couple questions that we got in advance. The first one is related to a letter that um, folks from Clover Farms who are shipping into Clover Farms received that said milk 
suppliers are prohibited or milk producers are prohibited from doing their own toggling without a veterinarian because on a DA, because this is a requirement on farm not to do any veterinarian procedures. Very large farms in the central U.S. have their own vets on staff with vet techs trained on their dairies. How do, um, it's, it was just more related to, can you clear up what the farm requirement are related to the so-called vet procedures and toggling specifically mentioned or other procedures required to have vets? Uh, what is what is the definition and what is the requirement related to farm? Yeah, so I'll start with um, if you receive that letter or know someone that has received that letter, um, I do think that co-op is working on drafting um, a clarification letter um, so that there will be a part two to that letter coming. Um, so to clarify the farm program expectations, we do have the expectation with that um, a veterinarian reviews all protocols um, and herd health plan um, components. Um, a DA would be a common um, common treatment. And so that would be something that would be required within that herd health plan. However, if you work with your veterinarian and they have instructed or are comfortable with whatever DA treatment, toggling, um, and they have provided oversight over medication that is given, um, that is certainly acceptable within the farm program expectations. I do not expect um, there to be any specific language around treatment type for DAs or, or any other common medical procedure in version five. Um, but I do believe hearing those, the, the conversations there, there was more of a concern um, that folks were completing this procedure without um, any proper training or medical oversight or veterinarian oversight. And um, we're having some um, folks come on farm who were not farm employees or not owners of the farm or were not uh, professionals as far as not being veterinarians. And we're completing the practice, which um, does open up um, the discussion around um, practicing without a license and things of that, which of course are beyond the farm program expectations and are more in the realm of legality issues. So the next question is with High Path AI in Pennsylvania and other states this spring, there was a lot of discussion around biosecurity right now and the concern that if front and mouth disease would come to the U.S., the livestock industry isn't prepared. So can you talk a little bit more about the biosecurity piece, how you plan to roll that out, particularly on smaller dairy operations like the ones we have in Pennsylvania, and what support or collaboration or assistance you plan to leverage with or from either the states, the local state uh, animal health bureaus, or the organizations within the states to get that done? Yeah, so I'll say that um, that. Uh, up until this point, um, and on our website, the currently existed secure milk supply resources have been um, are actively being revamped and, and maybe rebranded a little bit to include farm. And so those have moved over to be on our, our web website as well. If you're looking for currently existing things, um, the farm program and national milk is in constant conversation with the USDA about um, proactive steps to take or preventative steps to take um, to eliminate the opportunity for an outbreak or how to manage, you know, those include um, desk, um, um, the word is escaping me right now, um, crisis drills or things of that nature um, and having those conversations available. As um, farm biosecurity develops resources, um, they will be posted on our website. We currently are in the process of developing a training um, that will be available online in, in um, types of digital uh, modules that will be able to be completed virtually. Um, and that's something that I believe will be expected to be completed um, by the end of this year or the quarter, first quarter of next year. So actively um, releasing resources, the biosecurity manual as well is, is in its um, final tweaks as far as layout. And so that's something that at the beginning of this fall, we're expecting to, to share as well. So. Um, kind of all the time, resources are coming related to biosecurity. And then uh, on another alert related to biosecurity, can you just explain what the secure milk supply agreement is and why that is so important to get increased engagement in that? Yeah, and I might not do it justice. It's not my specific program area, but I can give you a broad overview. 
So both um, the beef supply and the milk supply both have contracts um, historically with Iowa State, I believe, to secure milk supply, um, basically as a resource around prevention, um, around drug or disease outbreak, FMD outbreak. And so it's really coming up with a strategy as far as a biosecurity plan uh, for individual farms. And then also looking at it from a perspective as from countrywide or nationwide as well. Um, that contract has ended specifically with um, with Iowa State. And so that's actually one of the reasons that the National Milk um, Producers Federation uh, took interest in this and trying to not make sure that didn't die out and that we could um, integrate those resources into the farm program. And my understanding of that program is um, in the case of foot and mouth uh, biosecurity, the farms with biosecurity plans that are documented through that uh, secure milk supply would be allowed would have special permits to continue shipping milk and others, you would have to have your plan included within that. Yeah, so one of the resources we are trying to do since we at the farm program already have a database that that information is being put into is the ability for farms to put in their biosecurity plan into our database so that if a milk shed or a specific area needed to quickly communicate what those biosecurity plans um, are to, to USDA, it would already be in a uniform format so they could easily send it on uh, to try to streamline that process if there was questions about milk movement or, or, or cow movement. And then uh, the last question I have, and it, like I said, if others have questions, please put them in the chat box or click on the icon to raise your hand. Um, but the last question I have is, as you're working with evaluators on the program, what are the most commonly missed standards that they're seeing on the farms and how are you helping the cooperatives and farms address those standards that are being missed? Yeah, so I will start that with, um, it's, it's been a common misconception um, that, that the farm program itself is more prioritizing um, paperwork versus actually what's being happening on the farm. Uh, but that's not the case. We know for sure the priority there is the actions that are being practiced. Um, but the paperwork is kind of that checks and balances piece um, that we can have that QA piece that if there's you know employees out or if there's an emergency um, for consistency for something to to rely back on and uh, to train against is we need those those paperwork in place. I'll say that um, paperwork tends to be the one um, as far as document and protocols that we see co most commonly. So specifically around um, um, you know whether it's anything related to herd health plant paperwork, as well as documented training. Um, so specifically looking at calf care trainings, um, those are commonly the ones that, that we need to see an improvement on. Um, however, I will say across the board that those all are very small numbers that, that are currently missing. Uh, the other one there is, is um, the lack of a VCPR. So an established relationship with a veterinarian and having a signed veterinary client patient relationship. We have a great relationship with AABP, American Association of Bovine Practitioners. So if you're having difficulties finding a veterinarian, uh, we can try to work closely with their membership to identify someone that can come out on farm um, and provide that support for you. I'll say across the board, again, it's very small numbers of folks where standards are not being met. And the other great thing that we see is whenever there are um, unmet standards, uh, and we mentioned the timelines there, that consistently those timelines are being met within half the allotted time frame. So, you know, we're looking at about um, three to, to six months for a, a mandatory corrective action plan, which has a limit of nine months. And then we're looking at about a year for a continuous improvement plan, which actually has a limit of about three years. Thanks Beverly, that was really, really helpful. And thank you for all the great information. Just wanted to close with thanks to everyone who's joining us today. As you can see, this webinar is being recorded and will be made available on our website within the next few days. Our intern, Dana, is actually also helping to produce a podcast, podcast from the webinar for all those who would like to listen to Beverly on Apple, Spotify, or Amazon. So please encourage others who you think may benefit from the webinar either to listen to the recording or check out the podcast. Lastly, before I close, I did want to remind everyone that the center does work closely to extend national farm program resources to Pennsylvania dairy farms. You'll find links to the farm resources. I did post um, farms link in the chat, but we also have 
any of the resources linked on our animal welfare resource page, centerfordairyexcellence.org backslash animal dash welfare dash resources backslash. One helpful resource that we have seen a lot of dairy farms using as well as cooperatives is our printed SOP and record keeping book uh, that actually ties in with a lot, combines a lot of the farm protocols and it's in a printed form. So it makes it really easy for farms that aren't computer savvy to meet the requirements of the farm program related to SOPs and antibiotic use. You can order that book for free from our animal welfare page on our website. Thanks again to Beverly for joining and for leading the nation's efforts to demonstrate our industry's commitment to animal welfare and care. I hope you all enjoyed the, web the webinar today and you have a wonderful day. Thanks for joining.